Our scripture reading uh, this morning comes from uh, the book of Psalms, and I'm going to be reading uh, Psalm 16. You can follow along uh, on the screen, or if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along uh, on there as well. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. By the way, the kids are dismissed. Sorry, Sorry, I forgot that part. (laughs) They're like, phew. We didn't have to stay for that sermon. Uh, Psalm 16. Uh, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, Or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word for us today. Amen. Um, you may have heard this week uh, through social media or uh, just through hanging out uh, with us that uh, we had something really interesting happen to our family this week, and that is uh, our house got hit by a car this week. Uh, neither, no, nobody was home, uh, only the dog who was trauma, tra- uh, traumatized by the whole event, but uh, nobody was home, and uh, we literally learned because our neighbors called us. And uh, the first phone call that we got from one of our neighbors was surprising, as you would expect. They called us and they said, well, your, your house has, has been hit by a car. And of course, my wife then feverishly calls me and tells me what's happening. And what was a very normal day for us turned into uh, a frenzied panic. Uh, as we only imagined what this could have looked like, uh, I started to have visions of a uh, house in my living room and, you know, immediately what were we going to do, how we were going to call the insurance company, where we were going to live and how we were going to respond to this. And as I'm, you know, starting to panic about all this, I, I receive a picture via text message from uh, another neighbor. It was the talk of the neighborhood at this point. And uh, the picture uh, calmed me down a good bit because what the picture showed uh, was that really the, the car had uh, only uh, hit the house very gently. Uh, it had only maybe cracked a brick, uh, crushed a bush, and uh, knocked down a downspout of the house. So uh, from, so from a, a moment of intense panic, came uh, immediate relief. We weren't going to have to find another place to live. Uh, the damage was very minimal, all to the point where within uh, just a few minutes later, we had gotten to the house and we were now laughing about the whole thing, all in the span of 15 minutes. Frenzied panic 
to, uh, to uh, immediate relief to then laughing about a situation, all in the span of 15 minutes. Now, you've all heard uh, the phrase that life is like a roller coaster. It is full of ups and it is full of down times. And those things are true for all of us in both big and small ways. We can think of times in our life that have felt like a roller coaster ride. And this, of course, is certainly true of our emotions. Sometimes we feel uh, our emotions are in a down place. Sometimes we feel like they are up on the peaks. And sometimes all those things can change in a moment's notice. If you're with us last week, you'll know that we looked at a, a psalm, uh, these, these prayers recorded for us in the Old Testament. We looked at a psalm that was written in one of life's valleys. It was written in a very dark place where the psalmist was captured by all sorts of feelings of anger and and desperation and feelings of desertion. This week, we look at a psalm uh, that has been attributed to to, uh, King David. And while in last week's psalm, it really felt like we were in the bottom of the valley, this week's psalm feels like we are on the peak of emotions. You see, the book of Psalms ultimately is a prayer book, and it's a prayer book full of prayers that help us to see that this walk of faith is not some sort of stoic, neutral position that walks through life dispassionately or emotionless. Instead, this is a prayer book that lets us wrestle with emotions. It helps us wrestle with God through the dark places of life and also through the times of life that feel like they are full of joy. At the end of the day, this psalm, uh, Psalm 16, is all about satisfaction. And it's a, it's a prayer about satisfaction that has been found. Satisfaction is the sense that one feels fulfilled. It's feelings of gratification, the, the idea that we have enough in life, that, that we don't need anything else, and our heart is perfectly satisfied just where we are. In some ways, it is the absence of anxiety or worry or the yearning and want for more. There is a settledness to satisfaction. Now, we don't know who wrote all of the Psalms in, the, in this book, but we do know that King David wrote this particular Psalm. And David was a really unique character in the Old Testament. He was uh, the king of Israel during perhaps its, its most prosperous time in its history, And we know that David, because of the book of Psalms, we know that David had a deeply intimate and passionate relationship with God. And it's really recorded through us all throughout this book. But despite that, David was a deeply flawed man that at times gave into the temptation that came with power and often abused his power to commit all sorts of awful sins in his life. He certainly had a roller coaster of life full of ups and full of downs. 
Now, we don't know the circumstances behind this psalm that was written, and many people have speculated that David must have written this psalm of intense satisfaction when circumstances were going really good in his life, or things were looking really up for David in his life. But I've never really been comfortable with that interpretation of this psalm. Because what that does is it immediately equates feelings of satisfaction with positive circumstances. And if we learn anything about satisfaction from this psalm, we learn that it doesn't, the satisfaction doesn't come from our circumstances first and foremost. It comes first in our relationship with God. And that's why David starts his psalm not celebrating his circumstances, but instead celebrating his relationship with God. Verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, God had revealed to David what the true path of life was was all about. And in that revelation, David found fullness of pleasure and fullness of joy. He says in Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Imagine for a minute that you are desperately thirsty. Maybe you're in a desert or you just got back from exercising and it's a hot day. You are desperately thirsty and, and, and your mouth is, is, it feels like uh, cotton at this point. And then you grab a cup of water that is just overflowing of cold water with ice in it. And then imagine the, the satisfaction that comes from drinking that to the very bottom and having your intense thirst immediately quenched. You see, this is the image that David draws upon when he talks about the satisfaction that we have in God. He says in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Throughout the psalm, he talks about God as his refuge. He mentions that in verse 1. And and in verse 9, he talks about God as his ultimate security. And in other parts of the scripture, he and other writers describe God as their hiding place. You see, what David is doing here is he isn't minimizing that things cannot be bad or difficult in life. He is just as realistic as you and I are about how difficult life can be. But what this psalm expresses is the fact that he has learned where to run when the challenges of life arise. Because he has experienced a protection and a security with God that ends up dispelling any sense of fear and anxiety. It's as if if he's saying, when life hits me hard, I run to my refuge. The only one and true refuge that is available in life. It is God who provides me protection from the storm It is he who gives me satisfaction, even in the leanest 
times of my life. I really think contentment is wrapped up in this idea. In some ways, uh, contentment is satisfaction's cousin. Contentment is, is, is being satisfied with what God has given to us in life. And I actually think there's, there's maybe never been a more difficult time in our cultural moment than now to feel content in our lives. I was reading the, uh, an article this week in, in, in Comment, which is uh, a journal uh, that, that deals with kind of culture and our cultural moment and, and how that relates to our theology, the things that, that we believe. And I read an article uh, this week called uh, Dis- uh, Digital Restlessness and Something More Certain. And it talks about how we live in a kind of technological and digital world and, and what that means for us personally and, and what it means for our faith. And it got me thinking a lot about how our digital world impacts our sense of contentment. You see, often when it came to comparing ourselves with other people, we'd have to leave the house. We'd have to, we'd have to go to a party and interact with other people to uh, hear about all of their lavish vacations and all their wonderful experiences and feel inferior as a result. We'd have to go to parties or interact with other people to brag about how great our life is and try to make other people feel inferior about their lives. But now, thanks to the digital world that we live in, we can do that in the very privacy of our own homes. We can get online and, and look at people's Facebooks or, in, or Instagram accounts or whatever it may be and automatically feel inferior to the things that they get to experience. We've all been there before, haven't we? Where we're sitting down to have a nice uh, dinner uh, and relax for an evening and get on Facebook and see that our friend is at some uh, fancy steakhouse having uh, a, 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 a very expensive steak. And then we look down at our mac and cheese and all of a sudden that just doesn't quite feel as good as it did before. We all know what this experience is about. But in this psalm, David has set aside all comparing and all one-upsmanship. And instead... He finds his perfect satisfaction in God. But of course, David's like us. He's, he's a human being like you and I are. And there are other Psalms in the Bible where satisfaction is far from David's emotions. And it's a reminder to us that satisfaction is often very elusive. Satisfaction is elusive. Of course, as, as, as I've considered this idea of satisfaction all week, I've, I've been unable to keep the Rolling Stones song out of my head. It's been playing as, it, throughout my head all week. And I don't know if you know this story, but uh, the genesis of their song, uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, uh, came in a really unique way. Keith Richards tells a story about uh, I think it was May in 1965, and, and he woke up in the middle of the night uh, with a melody in his head. And what he did is he uh, immediately grabbed the uh, tape recorder, and he, he played the eight-chord riff or whatever it is, Sean can tell you, the eight-chord riff for I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and then added the lyric. He just kind of mumbled the lyric in the middle of the night. 
And uh, then he went right back to sleep. In fact, he, he said it was really funny. He woke up the next morning and he played back the recording and, and heard the eight chord riff and heard the lyric. And then he heard himself drop the pick and immediately go back to snoring. And afterwards, the recording is nothing but, but hearing him snoring. But it became this incredibly popular song. It was a, amazingly popular, so much so that even today you and I know this song as well. And it's not just because the tune is catchy, but also because we can relate to the lyric. It became an anthem for those who just can't seem to grasp the feeling of satisfaction in their lives. It's forced me to ask, what is it that makes satisfaction so elusive? What makes it so difficult to hold on to? And I think David, David gives us a hint of that in verse 4, because in a sense he said that satisfaction is elusive when we are looking for it in lesser things. Look at verse 4. He says, "...the sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply." Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. You see, running after another God meant something different in David's day than it does in our day, but the principle behind it remains the same. Because the principle mind behind it is, ultimately, it is looking in other places for things that we can only truly find in our relationship with God. It is searching for the ultimate in things that at the end of the day are simply pedestrian. If you look for satisfaction in circumstances or lesser things, then that satisfaction will be elusive. It will be like water streaming out of your fingers when you try to grab it. Because ultimate satisfaction cannot come in a lucrative job or in Mediterranean vacations or obedient and wonderful children. It cannot come in the form of a spouse or the esteem of other people. In fact, if we try to find ultimate satisfaction in those things, David says that only sorrows will end up following. All of those things are wonderful gifts to be sure but they cannot bear the weight of the ultimate. That's why David says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He says also in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You see, it doesn't mean that all those other things are not good things in life. They certainly are, and they bring us lots of joy. It simply means that the ultimate good, the ultimate satisfaction, can only be found in our relationship with God. This is why all of David's life can come crumbling around him. And it does. If you read his story, his entire life crumbles all around him. And yet at the same time, he can say, I am satisfied. My cup overflows because my life is hidden with God. I think there's another reason why satisfaction is so elusive in this life. And I think it's because, very simply, we are broken people who live in a world 
that is very broken. We live in a time where God's plan of redemption is still in process. It is in process. It is not complete yet. We live in a period that is already, but not yet. I was reminded of that uh, last weekend and this very simple idea of, of, of satisfaction. Uh, my wife was uh, at the store uh, a couple weeks ago, probably two months ago at this point, and uh, she saw uh, a basketball hoop uh, that was on sale for a really good price. And uh, for, for so many years, my kids have, have wanted a basketball hoop. So she calls me and says, we've, we've, we just got to get it. It's, it's such a good price, we've got to get it. So we got the basketball hoop, we, we brought it home, and uh, the kids, as soon as they got home from school, they saw the box and they immediately got excited. And I tried to temper their excitement because it came in a box. And dad still needs to, to build this thing. And, uh, and to be truthful, the, the box sat in our garage for, I think, probably two months. And I kept promising the kids, I said, when you get out of school, I promise it'll be done. When school is done, I promise it'll be done. And of course, they got out of school last Tuesday. So what was I doing last weekend? I was building the basketball hoop. And uh, so on Saturday, I brought it out of the garage. I, I laid out everything. And it took me four and a half hours to build this basketball hoop. And at the very end, uh, I called the boys out and uh, I was so proud of myself because this was a tough thing to build. I was so proud of myself and it looked magnificent. I mean, I was ready to be a basketball star on this. It looked magnificent. I brought the boys out and they got really excited. And then they went to the very back of the basketball hoop and they tried to adjust the height of the basketball hoop because that's what you can do. And when they did this, we quickly discovered that it was stuck in one position, that after four and a half hours of working, dad managed to make the basketball hoop look good, but it didn't function the way it was really supposed to. And I have to be honest, I was okay with that (laughs) because I was still proud. I was still satisfied that I was able to build this basketball hoop, even though my satisfaction was incomplete. And friends, I think that's what in some ways life in this broken world is about. We have tastes of satisfaction. We have glimpses of it. But in the end, it is always incomplete because we are waiting for the complete to come in Jesus Christ. We receive tastes and glimpses of ultimate satisfaction, but it will be achieved completely when God's great plan of redemption is accomplished fully at the end of all time. But in the meantime, in the in-between where we are now, we are called to look to Christ. And that is why you see a very intense resolve here in this psalm. Verse 8 says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Calvin said this about the resolve. He said, embrace him with the whole heart and seek in him only all the ingredients and the fullness of our happiness. You see, David resolves to set the Lord always before him because in him alone is found ultimate satisfaction. 
I think there's something even deeper that is going on here in this psalm, and it's found for us in verse 10 where it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which means the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You see, for David, when he originally wrote these words, this meant that he recognized that even in his death, he could rest in God. Even in the darkest moments, his soul could be satisfied in God, who was his dwelling place. But thousands of years later, After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' followers would look back to this psalm and would quote this psalm. You can read about it in the book of Acts. His first followers saw that this meant something for David, but they saw that this was also a hint. It was a foreshadowing that even death could not contain Jesus Christ himself. His soul would not be abandoned to the grave, nor would it see corruption. Instead, it would be raised on the third day. You see, friends, because of Christ's life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, the path of life was made open to you and I. We who are sinners, people justly deserving God's wrath, can now find refuge in God. Instead of having to run from Him in our sins, we can now run to Him for our refuge, all because of what Christ has done for us. Because on the the cross, Christ was emptied so that you and I could be made full. He suffered through the storm so that you and I could have refuge. Friends, if you are sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, what David would tell you, what the Scriptures would tell you, what I would tell you is stop seeking life in vain things because only sorrows lie down that road. Instead, find the path of life. Find ultimate satisfaction in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do know him as your Savior and have known him for many years as your Savior, then do what David did and and do what we need to do as believers all the time in this life of faith, and that is resolve in your heart, as David did, to always set the Lord before you. And in the process, you will find that your cup will be filled to overflowing. Let's pray.